We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 343 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jenny Hilton, and unfortunately, I am all alone today. I had a plan for today's podcast, but much like Shavi yesterday, my plan hit a few complications, but just like Shavi yesterday, we're going to try to do the best we can with what we have. So today, it'll be a little bit unorthodox. I'm going to start with some news and things to discuss, and then some thoughts on yesterday's game before giving you the audio of the five headlines that are released on YouTube right after the game. So the five headlines are going to be more of the, we'll say, pressing things. So I'm actually going to hit you with the things that I've been mulling over for the 24 hours since yesterday's game. So if you already heard that five headlines from yesterday, you only need to hear and stick around for this first part. Because I do want to start with some of the off-field stuff, talking about Ronda Rajo's contract situation and the likely renewal that it seems like he's signing. As of today, that is today, on Friday, it was reported that Fabrizio Romano, paperwork will be ready, and then he put this in parentheses or whatever you want to call these very soon for Ronda Rajo and his new contract with Barcelona. The deal is until June of 2026, confirmed with a release clause of $1 billion. The official statement to come in the next few days. Apparently, the club went up to $4 million from what was $3 million, and the player and agent came down from around $5 million. So, I mean, that's how negotiations work. But it felt like at times it was being reported that the two sides were nowhere near each other, that it was completely unreasonable. But yeah, I mean, I guess we're talking about 20% indifferences or even a 40% indifference if they started at the table, that being the player, at 5 mil and the club started at 3 mil. Yeah, so I guess it is 20% or, or yeah, 40% indifference in terms of the total. So I'm glad to see, though, in that negotiation, they were able to get to that number together. And I, I think having Araujo renewed in the same way having Gabi renewed and particularly for Dembele being renewed, that dictates all of what, and I'm not just some of, but pretty much all of what Barcelona are looking to do this summer. Because if those players are renewed and you get a good sense of where Barcelona has their depth, then certainly you're going to circle the quote-unquote big fish. And Barcelona, I guess, yeah, they'll swing for the fences at one of those big center strikers that aren't really on the market, that they're going to have to pay head over foot for. But Barcelona won't have to reinforce at center back. Again, if Dembele is able to renew, then no offense to Rafinha, especially if Leeds are stay, still up. And we had a podcast on this a few weeks ago. Then he won't have to be an option. And the wings are pretty much going to be taken care of with Dembele in that instance. As I've said, I also trust the depth or potential depth 
of even an Ez Abde or an Elash Komash, as they did this season, they kind of came up where they needed to, but they'll be another year seasoned in the academy next year. And who knows who else could be coming from the academy, 17, 18, 19 years old. We've also seen Estanis Pedrola. We have seen some other players too from the youth academy. So I think if you have those wingers as wingers, number what? Six, five, six, seven on the depth chart. Because again, Ansu Fati, hopefully coming back to Slavante over this this weekend. You're hoping that Ansu Fati is just as good as he expects to be. Ferran Torres, I mean, who knows about Adama Traore and Dembele. It's all shaping up to be potentially a deep winger core. Again, Dembele, the big wild card there. Rafinha would be the like for like. One of the players we already know is coming. And I think for the first time this season, I kind of watched thinking and scouting as a Barcelona fan or Kule that Andres Christensen getting taken to the cleaners, Chelsea Real Madrid by Karim Benzema. Not, not great for him in that match, but as you've heard me talk about before, we've also watched Eric Garcia, I'll get to him in a second, be completely undressed in for Man City and in big moments in big games. I mean, everybody has had their bad moments with the exception, I think, of Ronald Araujo defensively. But, you know, what that means for Christensen in one match means nothing to me. You know, I want to see what happens with the preseason, getting to know the system, how Xavi's going to want to play, and his time at Barcelona, even though he'll start it in a few months, it's still a long, long way away. What it does mean, though, too, is that Rudiger is off the table, either because he was too expensive or no longer necessary with Araujo renewing. And we did see some nonsense this week as well from Sport about Mason Mount of Chelsea and Christopher Nkunku of RB Leipzig. But for that kind of player, as in an attacking midfielder, I don't think the club is looking past Danny Olmo. You know, give it a few weeks or months, especially over the international breaks. Danny Olmo always pops up as that attacking midfielder that Barcelona are probably looking at to try to bring back home. Now, the one transfer, though, this week that does excite me as, you know, we're kind of leading to this Eintracht Frankfurt review is Javi Galan from Celta de Vigo. The 27-year-old left back who has been one of, if not the best left back in Spain, and because of the way the Celta de Vigo play, that is unafraid, you know, I've always, for those people who know, I do enjoy, especially Celta de Vigo, because even in the times of Messi, maybe not so much 10 years ago, and well, now we're dating myself a little bit, well, 10, 11, 12 years ago, with those fantastic Pep Guardiola sides, yeah, Celta de Vigo, you know, they weren't necessarily pushing Barcelona at all instances, and Barca had put up some huge goal lines against them in the last 10 years, but Celta de Vigo... Again, it made a bias because when I went to see them in 2017, that they took it right to Barcelona at the Camp No. It just left an impression on me, and they've had their struggles of late. But this year, they seem to have turned that corner, and there's going to be life beyond Yago Aspas for them. But as far as the entire team, they've completely solidified their defense, and they're looking a lot better this season, and they were comfortable to stay up. And Javi Galan and his addition has been a huge part of that. It was great business for them last summer. And he has been the mark of consistency this year while only providing three assists. I'm really interested to see what he'll do under Xavi. And I, I say that about a lot of different players, but he went from Celta last summer from Huesca for 4 million. And if Barca want him a year later, it'll probably cost 10 million. But that's the cost of not jumping on a player earlier, right? And the counter argument immediately in this case, though, is that at 26 last summer when he made that move, there was a pretty large sample size of who he was. And this meteoric rise in the last two seasons, him being one of the only bright spots for Huesca two years ago and continuing to raise his level at Celta this year, that's some rare, rare late bloomer status. I mean, there's very, very few players that you can say, you know, fit that mold of a player in their mid-20s to totally make that jump to that kind of level, especially if he lands at a quote-unquote giant next year for 10 to 12 million or something like that. But what I can say, 
I've seen him probably six, seven times a season. That jump does look permanent. And I haven't heard as far as a left box spot because we talk about Jordi Alba. Alejandro Balde, it's almost been a lost year for him. So I don't know what he's going to be able to do for the first team. I would actually assume he might even go out on loan. And there are some new loan rules. But as far as Barcelona needing to get four or five guys out on loan next year, I think it's four is the, the limit. Balde is one of the names I want to put on that list because he certainly needs first team football. And now, unfortunately, after two years where he's been plagued with injuries, he's at a point in his career at, I think he'll be 19 next year, he absolutely needs to play. So with him kind of, we'll say, out of the picture, I don't really assume to rely on him next season. At left back, you're talking about Sergino Dest. That's who you're talking about next on the ledger. And with Danny Alves on one side, Araujo potentially, is he going to be a future right back? Is Xavi going to, and Barcelona going to stay with a flat back four? But either way, you'd need someone to play left back, right? Unless it is truly a 3-5-2 system. And Xavi's saying, well, we're not going to worry about it next year. And what Alba can give us on that left wing can give us on the left wing when we go there. But as far as other credible names, yeah, the left back is such a hard position because great, great left backs, as you know, are converted somewhere else. And I know people will probably throw the name Granaldo from Benfica at me to return home. And I know he had a fault with Luis Enrique a long time ago, but they're not going to that being Benfica, sell Grimaldo for anything less than way over market price. If you're watching what's happening with Darwin Nunez, their Uruguayan center forward, they're apparently asking for some outrageous numbers for him, where his salary is potentially going to be, and he actually just switched his agent to Jorge Mendes as well. So for any fears that Benfica as a club were the ones who were raising the bargain, or not raising the bargain, but trying to, to raise the price on one of their players... Him signing with Jorge Mendez means now there's a gigantic agent fee on top of that. And now it seems like lever. I mean, Jorge Mendez gives you leverage in those negotiations, that being in FICA too. So they're going to ask for way over market price, even a player like Grimaldo. And that's something that Barcelona can't pay for. They cannot pay for way over market price. And we'll have to see what happens with Erlen Holland as, as we go through that. So those are the transfers for or the transfer rumors or whatever. I think the biggest story, as I said here, was Ronald Araujo renewing. That does a lot for Barcelona and the future plans and the worrisome summer that they might have, where they have the enemy that they know, and that is, can they renew Dembele? And I think they've already started to begin to really figure out what those contingency plans are going to be. And if not, and that's the money they have, and they don't get a quote-unquote big fish in Holland, then they basically take those free agents, and Kessier as well, and they reboot what they did this year, which looks pretty good to me. And I know some of those guys are going to be older, but they add Kessier to that midfield, see what kind of role he can take and what kind of responsibility he can take off Busquets' plate, along with the progression of Pedri and Gabi and even Frankie de Young. What can they take off Busquets' plate as he gets another year older? Yeah, what happens with Jordi Alba as well? And then Gerard Piquet is the last note before we start talking about this Frankfurt match because he is injured in the Frankfurt match with a strain abductor muscle. And abductors, I mean, I think people aren't really familiar with them. It's, you know, right in the lower midsection. And I had, I mean, not to say that I'm a professional football and nobody diagnosed me properly. I was misdiagnosed twice, but I wound up having an abductor injury that kept me out for nine or 10 months, just a sporting action. I could barely get out of bed for the first few weeks of it. And there's an American player in Tyler Adams for when he made the move to RB Leipzig, from Red Bull, he had just an abductor injury that lasted seemingly for a lifetime. Damian Lillard in the NBA has been dealing with it for a greater part of a year. He started, I think he started to struggle in the Olympics with it or at the end of last season. And basically the whole year was lost for him this year because of it. So abductor in, uh, injuries, they could be a week, three weeks, two months, five months, nine months, right? And, and I think at this point of what we know that PK... It's questionable, but it seems like it's not like some kind of tear or some major issue that'll keep him out for months, which means that, you know, again, this is me hypothesizing, not a doctor, that he might be back 
in before the season ends or a few short weeks or maybe even a week or two. So we'll have to see about that. But, you know, this season, the positive for PK is that he was much more injured last season. And we felt like the wagons were, were, were circling, that his career was going to be over soon. But he's been fantastic this year, renewed under Xavi. And, you know, this year he's only actually injured for three matches a season and not once since Xavi took over. He's been the mark of consistency, only out two games because of yellow card accumulation. So PK, if he's able to get back on the field this season in particular, Barcelona would love to have him for that Europa League push because immediately depth chart Europa League becomes a question because there is no Danny Alves. So Gino Dest, we don't know how long he'll be injured as well. And now things at that back line could look rather barren rather quickly, which is why we saw Clement Langley. And I talked about that in the five headlines. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Two of the things that I did not really reference in the five headlines, uh, I get into some of the negative stuff, but there are three positive players that I really want to highlight here that I don't think I give enough attention to with those five headlines. And I actually start with Eric Garcia, who, you know, I think this narrative, I, I saw, I don't know how many tweets, people saying that we're not talking enough about Eric Garcia, but to me, it's almost an overcorrection where, you know, for those who've been listening to this podcast, you know that from the moment he arrived that I've said, let's be patient, let's wait on it. For everything I've ever seen or known about this kid, I think he'll be up to it eventually, that he's still so, so young, still, I mean, just turning 20 years old in the last year. So for Eric Garcia, I wanted to be patient, give him time. 
But, you know, I think, not to say he's exceeded my expectations, but I think he's exceeded my expectations for year one. I thought he was going to get batted around quite a bit, and I think he has at times. But since Xavi took over, and I say that about a lot of different players, but since Xavi took over, his metrics, advanced metrics, have been across the board better than they ever were for Man City under Pep. Under Pep. And he's been at his best, actually, in those four Europa League matches when, in theory, the lights were brightest, and El Clasico when the lights are at their brightest, brightest. His interceptions are up. His tackles per game are up. His dribbled past is down. Now under one time per game, which, again, for him is pretty big. You know, we can't expect that big fat zero that Araujo gives us every single week for the likes of Eric Garcia. That's not who he is. But yeah, that's now under one per game. And his clearances are now up over two per game. So going back to El Clasico, and we talked about the lack of Benzema as almost that caveat where we don't know exactly how Eric Garcia would have fared with Benzema. But unless he's being undressed by a top, top, top center back or center forward, he has been just fine since that Espanyol match where he struggled. And that was the last time, really, he truly struggled. And that was actually arguably the last time this team truly, truly struggled as well from the goalkeeper all the way up to the center forwards. But he's also been just fine playing, then sitting, then playing, then sitting, having not played against Napoli in the second leg. Athletic Club he missed, Elche he missed, Sevilla he missed. Again, not to injury, just because Xavi kept him on the bench. And yet he seems to perfectly understand his role. And this is, again, another credit where I am fully, fully sipping on the Xavi, the Xavi sauce already. I don't know if you sip on uh, sip on sauce, but yeah, I'm, I'm sipping on the, uh, the, the Xavi juice already because it seems like he has a great relationship. I mean, I was nervous about him as a man manager because I think coming in, of course, he was going to have the tactics down. But was he going to have the man managing ability to, I mean, we've seen it with Zidane, right? That his tactics, I don't know. He just kind of relies on his best players to do their thing, command their dressing room. And I mean, Bayern Munich have always put somebody in charge. Nagelsmann is a tactical genius, but the question for him was actually similar to Xavi, but he was already at RB Leipzig. So <laughs> finished second in the Bundesliga. So it's not like going to the first place team was that big of a jump, you know, but because he was going to bring those tactics with them. And I knew Xavi was going to bring them, but was he going to be able to convey those to this team of veterans and really young players? And was he going to be able to give confidence to all these different players up and down the bench where guys who might not get as many minutes as they thought they would? And so I think for Eric Garcia coming in under Kuman, I think he thought he would have had two options. He would have been either been benched completely if he wasn't up to it, or he would have earned his starting spot and just been a starter because you see that a lot with center back pairings. You need that continuity. But the way that Araujo's kind of had to fill in at right back at times, both at the start of Xavi's regime and now, and the fact that Eric Garcia has been able to just settle in and not say that he hasn't got any competition because Umtiti's been long-term injured, but also, you know, on the outs. And then Lele just, he just hasn't impressed. Also, he keeps getting injured in training as well. So Eric Garcia was able to seize that third center back role and it has fit him just fine. So, you know, I have to do for one player. It's almost like, it's not in my contract, but I have to do it for almost every one time per match for a player. Their stats, here they are, 117 touches for Garcia. He missed six passes of his 105 passes, which is the most of any player for Barca. That's 99 total. Highest passing accuracy as well. Two accurate long balls, dispossessed once. Two tackles, five clearances, which were huge yesterday, especially when Lenglet came in. Two interceptions, won three of his five duels, nine ball recoveries, and he was dribbled past zero times yesterday against Eintracht Frankfurt, who definitely were trying to find that game. He also committed zero fouls too. And those last two, not dribbled past at all and committing zero fouls, that shows you that maybe his discipline is improving. Maybe his positioning is improving and maybe he's just understanding how to impact the game as a better center back. And I think working with Gerard Piquet, who is not known to be the quickest or fastest player either, I think working with Piquet is doing wonders for Eric Garcia. 
Now let's move up to the midfield because I do want to talk about Frankie de Young. I'm going to praise Gabi, I think as I should, in the, the five headlines. But Frankie coming on, you know, this is a bigger picture about Frankie more than just this game. With yesterday's assist on that goal for Ferran Torres, he's now provided three assists in his last seven games for Barca and just one less than in his previous 47 games in all competitions for Barcelona. So three assists in his last seven games. He had four in 47 games prior to that. So Frankie de Young, to say that he has hit his form and assists obviously aren't the total picture, but to say that he's finding ways to impact the team and to raise the floor of this team, certainly Frankie de Young is doing well under Xavi. And I think that was certainly a worry, right? That only Pedri and Gabi and Busquets and players that might play a certain way, the way that, you know, you see Xavi ball and frustrating that that that's already been coined. But I, you know, you assume with media it was going to happen. But we're going to have this now, I hope for years, we're going to be debating and trying to figure out what Xavi ball is. But clearly, Frankie de Young fits in Xavi ball. So it's not just his idea of you have to do triangles, you have to just pass the ball one touch immediately. Frankie de Young, as I had mentioned weeks ago now, he improved on his one-touch passing, I think, under Xavi, or not even improved on the touch itself, but improved on the decision-making and knowing when it's a one-touch pass, when to take that space. And, you know, certainly his ability to dribble has been something that he's had to work with being this jack-of-all-trades. But again, he excels at dribbling and progressive dribbling in a way that obviously Busquets doesn't do and even Gabi doesn't do. And so Frankie Young has that skill that he wants to make the most of, the team wants to make the most of, but how can he fit in that system of also releasing the ball quickly when he needs to? And he's really starting to put it together and figure it out. And that's why Barcelona, once Dembele and De Young came on, they wind up scoring in four minutes. It just, it was a spark of energy that that game needed. And <laughs> I'm not going to say I don't want to give credit to Xavi on this. I gave him enough credit already. But obviously Frankie De Young and Dembele in that kind of game, are going to be the difference makers there. And speaking of difference makers, I know he started the game, but Ferran Torres has now been directly involved in six goals in his last five games for Barcelona, four goals and two assists. And he also has 12 goals produced in 15 games already now this season. And Albert Blaya, just follow him on Twitter. That's all I have to say. Hit that Google Translate if you only speak English. He had a cool stat here. David Villa had 12 goals in 13 matches. So Ferran Torres... You know, I'm not comparing him to David Villa. Well, maybe we should because of the Valencia start. I mean, even though David Villa is from Sporting Gijon, you get the point. You know, they basically become quote unquote mini stars at Valencia. For David Villa, he stayed quite a quite a bit longer before making the move to Barcelona. Ferran Torres instead hopped over to Man City before coming over to Barcelona. But anyway, Ferran Torres, I I think those that are going to be continue to be negative about him, especially this season, are those that have dug their heels in and have they kind of want to die on the hill that Ferran Torres isn't good enough for some reason, or he's not fitting properly as a left winger or a center forward, but clearly he's a difference maker. And Aubameyang has been banging goals and doing his job. And again, I'm not taking anything away from Aubameyang, but when I'm adding Ansu Fati back into the mix, now he'll come off the bench against Levante, obviously. But if Ansu Fati is healthy enough for the remainder of the season to start some, and you're wondering what kind of combination, I think Ferran Torres, Ansu Fati, and Uzmai Dembele. And I'm not sure if it's Ansu on the left and Ferran through the middle. I'm Again, I would hope that actually in the long run, it's Ansu in the middle, which again brings up big questions about, do you need Holland? Do you need a true center forward? So the club really going after a center forward makes me think that they do think that Ansu is actually a left winger. We've all seen Ferran Torres with the Spanish national team on the right wing, but then where do you put Dembele? This is great problems to have. So I'm really, really interested to see now, I, again, I don't think we're going to see, you know, the true answer against Levante because Ansu will likely come off the bench. So he'll come off for either Aubameyang or Ferran Torres, depending on how the game is going. 
But in the long run, yeah, especially if Dembele winds up renewing, really excited to see the problem that Xavi might have at his disposal if Barcelona even reinforced with some kind of other center forward. So those are the three guys that I really, really wanted to talk about because I really do hit pretty much everything else in here. I guess the final thing is to say on second viewing, I, I wanted to rewatch some of that second half as well. And from the first half, I have to give credit to Oliver Glasner crowding Pedri off the ball by forcing the referee to figure out each and every time how physical he wanted that game to be the ref. And the ref kind of got that calculation wrong in the first five minutes when Frankfurt were on the front foot. And a credit to Jackets as well, staying with Pedri, only allowing him, I mentioned this in the headlines, to touch the ball 13 times. And, you know, people were also bringing up the fact that it was Pedri playing on the right and Gabi on the left. But I think that choice says more about Gabi than it does about Pedri. That you, I mean, that being that being Xavi, has wanted Gabi to be close to Alba on that left wing because of Gabi being comfortable playing up into that left wing. That's where he's gotten used to his positioning under Xavi. So I get why you want Gabi on that left, that being Xavi in this instance. And then Pedri, I think there was some faith that Pedri could pretty much play anywhere. And I think he still could have played everywhere, but Eintracht Frankfurt had a really good game plan against him, keeping those two pivots in front of him and not allowing you know anything there. I mean, Frankfurt want to be they wanted to be beaten down the wings, and as I talk about in the headlines, Araujo couldn't really do that. So Araujo's passing didn't really get that done, and Alba also didn't really have his best match either. I think if Alba has a better match, you know Barcelona win that two one, and we're talking about something entirely different. And it was interesting too that as much as Araujo, I thought he had struggled, he actually only misplayed seven passes all of yesterday. And five of those came in the first 20 minutes. He was actually accurate on five of his seven long balls, and he was still never dribbled past that game. So the eye test told me that Eintracht Frankfurt wanted to keep going down his side with Kostic over and over and over and over again. But actually, the two best players for Eintracht Frankfurt yesterday were Knauf, who scored the goal, obviously, and Jesper Lindstrom. They were arguably Eintracht's best, and they were coming down Jordi Alba side. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things where the numbers and what you watch even on second viewing and you try to look for certain things that, yeah, I guess Lindstrom and Canal were better than I thought against Alba and Araujo for his early five to 10 minute struggles. Unfortunately, I think that biased me for the rest of the game. So Araujo was actually much better basically after he settled down in the 15th or 20th minute. So I'm rescinding some of the uh, criticism we'll say I'm about to give Araujo. So without further ado, Here's some more of me. <laughs> so as I said, uh, we're going to have a regularly scheduled podcast, hopefully, I say on Monday with a guest, with someone else for me to talk to because, yeah, I was a bit lonely today. So without further ado, here's more of me with those five headlines from yesterday's game against Eintracht Frankfurt. I know that the level-headed people that watch this channel aren't those that are saying that Xavi Ball is dead and buried. Where is it? We can't find it. But I know, you know, Xavi knows, the players know that today against Eintracht Frankfurt, we didn't see Barca's best. But a 1-1 result on the road in that kind of atmosphere and 90 minutes of figuring out their opponent for the second leg. I might eat crow on this later, but just like those first legs against Napoli and Galatasaray when they were also even, I'm not that worried that Barcelona shouldn't be the heavy favorites to take care of business at the Camp Nou for the return leg. But unfortunately, and a little fortunately, we still have to dwell on the 90 minutes that we just went through, for better or worse. So here, without further ado, are the five headlines from Barcelona's 1-1 draw with Eintracht Frankfurt. There are definitely positives to end with, but we have to start at the beginning of this match with headline number one, Barca's slow start. Now when a team does have a slow start, as Barca did today, because it's fair to certainly say that they did, that probably extended through the first half, but I'm really focusing on that first 10 minutes or so. There are multiple reasons why a team starts a game slow. There's always questions as to why they didn't come out swinging. 
Was it the atmosphere? The manager got his tactics or personnel wrong? The mentality? Just some unlucky mistakes? I'm not sure what it was, but sometimes you do have to give credit to your opponent, and I'm going to take the out here on that. It might be a bit of a cop-out, but I think Eintracht Frankfurt, who have been a middle-of-the-road, they're fine in the Bundesliga this season. They give up about as much as they score, and as I've said, they've been fine. They're a team that has taken it to Bayern Munich, they've had some good matches, and they've actually done well against the Giants, if you will, of the Bundesliga, but their consistency has waned. In this kind of match, in this kind of atmosphere in the Europa League against Barcelona, you know, their social media accounts were tweeting all week about how they weren't afraid of Barca. And then their players, I know the players don't run the social media, but the players backed up what Eintracht Frankfurt as a club had represented all week. That they were not afraid of the Catalans, especially at home. And they took it right to Barcelona from the opening whistle, and you have to give some credit to them. Oddly enough, it was Barca who did get the early, early chance via Ferran Torres. He missed that one. And then it was some mistakes at right back from Araujo with his distribution that led to a number of Frankfurt chances within the first five minutes. Jabril Sal misses a chance from straight away just about a minute later in the 6th or 7th minute. And then Gabi cut out another cross in the 10th minute that could have led to something. And that malaise that Barcelona were dealing with, that extended throughout the entire first half. And while I did mention Araujo's distribution mistakes, for those who've been following along for a while, you know that other teams in the Liga have been allowing him when he's been the right center back, that being Araujo, to have to beat them with that pass or the dribble. But Frankfurt wasn't doing that. They were being honest with their press. It was a medium block, and they were giving the same pressure to Araujo as they were on the other side to Alba, but they were just trying to bang everything down that right side, which we'll get to in a second. Because in hindsight, I don't think Araujo's distribution errors at the beginning were why Barca had such a slow start, because they managed to get through that without conceding a goal. They managed to live with it, and as I said, Frankfurt weren't pressing necessarily just on Araujo, where they were going to capitalize on that. And Araujo did a good enough job defending every time, and Pique, Eric Garcia, Alba, Gabi, Pedri, and Busquets, that entire unit, well, they hit the brakes, code red, they got back every time they needed to in that first half. So Barcelona were able to, and here's where I give the compliment, they were able to survive on a day, especially in that first half, when it just wasn't their day. They weren't ready to go, the passing wasn't great, it wasn't crisp, and I thought Frankfurt defensively had a really good game plan. Two is defense weekend because things in that first half did go from bad to worse. With PK going out for Langley, there were certainly more question marks of that back line. Eric Garcia, I think it's going to be years, maybe hoping months, but maybe years before all Kool-Aid say, hey, that guy can do a job defensively. I thought he was solid today, maybe even more than solid. But again, Eric Garcia isn't the guy that you're going to say, hey, that's our number one defender center back on that back line, especially when Araujo is stuck out wide having to do a job on the right side. So Langley coming in, I have to be honest, Langley, he was not at fault for the goal, and I think Eric Garcia covered for him well, so that did minimize some of the positioning errors that he had. To me, those positioning errors and even some distribution errors are indicative of a player that has not played almost at all this season, and so he does just enough in this moment. Also with PK out, some of the organization for Barca on set pieces was gone, you could clearly see it. There was no penalty near the end of the first half, but it was still a dangerous moment. Busquets got the ball first, and thank goodness for VAR. So Barcelona, especially in that first half once Piquet went out, they had to settle down, they had to figure things out, and again, I think they did that, taking the 0-0 into the first half break, because I know it feels like Barca should be up at the half, but not in this case. Frankfurt were the better team, and they should have been up at the half. Three is attacking Barca's right side. Once again, not taking anything away from Barcelona having a poor performance, but Eintracht Frankfurt do deserve some credit for having a pretty consistent game plan, and one that they've stuck to. 
Barcelona, we'll talk about their formula later, about how they get their goals. But the way that Eintracht Frankfurt does attack their opposition is down that left side. It had nothing to do with Araujo. Because, again, if you're the other team and you're saying, do we want to attack Jordi Alba defensively or do we want to attack Ronald Araujo defensively, who's done the job on Vinicius Jr. and he's put other wingers in his pocket on that sideline before. But Eintracht weren't afraid. They wanted to play their game more than they were willing to make those sacrifices for their opposition. So Kosic, over and over and over again, he was given the ball on switches, even on the same line, sometimes overlapping, sometimes strong-siding it. So that left side for Eintracht Frankfurt, that's where they put their bodies, that's where they put their focus, and they did have some success, even against Araujo. And I'm not ready yet to take that extra step and start to wonder about some of the questions that have been brought up this week with Araujo it's a good news here that he's probably going to be resigning very, very shortly. It seems like both parties have agreed on him taking the salary he did. Barca came up a little bit. Their party went down. That's what a negotiation is if a player wants to stay at a club and the club wants to have him. So it's all going to work out for the better. But it does bring up the question that if Mazraoui is apparently heading to Bayern due to high salary demands, actually similar demands to Araujo, questions about Araujo as a future right back if Des can't stay healthy have certainly popped up. Maybe not future future, but at least for next season. That's going to be a real question. Interestingly enough, the goal by Knauf doesn't come down Barcelona's right side and Eintracht Frankfurt attacking that left side. It comes off a set piece. And I don't really have anybody in particular to blame. That, yeah, you've got to get your midfield out to that ball quicker. But sometimes, again, I'm going to give credit to the opposition. That was just a fantastic hit by Knauf. I don't think there's much Ter Stegen could have done with it. And I don't think anybody could even blocked it or got in the way unless their positioning was a little bit farther out. But that was a deep, long-range missile. And sometimes you got to tip your hat to a guy that's come up through Borussia Dortmund. He's on loan, and he certainly is a player who multiple clubs in the Bundesliga kind of believe in, enough to give him a chance in this kind of circumstance, and he rewarded them for the faith. Four is when things get sloppy, there's Gabi. If I'm going to give out any compliments from Barcelona's performance in that first half, I'm definitely going to narrow in on Gabi here. When things are sloppy, he still does a job and gets involved. He can play beautiful when everybody's clicking and the ball is moving well, and he can also play when it looks like Barca are playing like a Segunda Division side. Gabi was kind of being asked to become that main midfield option, which is a bit too much for him. Because again, a credit to Eintracht Frankfurt, Jackic staying with Pedri, marking him almost out of the game. Something that we've seen bigger names be unable to do in recent weeks. He only allowed Pedri to touch the ball 13 times in the first half. And when Pedri finally did get on the ball in the second half, it led to a red for Tuta. Pedri is the guy in midfield for Barcelona. Busquets has his job as well. Gabi, or we saw in the second half, De Jong, they're that third option. They can be that variable. They can be that wild card that makes Barcelona's midfield superior to their opposition. And so again, it was odd. It wasn't that Pedri was even having a bad game. It's just Eintracht Frankfurt did a really good job against him. And that is maybe me being a Barcelona apologist, but I was still impressed with Gabi. He's got that fight. He's got that desire. And as long as he can keep his yellow cards down, which he has done under Xabi Hernandez, as long as he can keep those down and stay on the field, he's going to be an impact player, even if he's not one of Barcelona's first-choice three midfielders for the rest of this season. And that leads us to number five, sticking to the formula. When games go poorly, it's really hard to find those through lines. You know, not everything makes sense from start to finish. Because I thought Gabi and Adama Troy were Barcelona's, maybe arguably their two best players in that first half. Adama Troy, I know I didn't talk about him yet. He wasn't the difference maker, but he was 8-for-8 eight eight on his dribbles, and I thought he was releasing the ball well and making things happen, even if it didn't lead to the final ball. I mean, that is the story of Adama Troy's career, but here we are. He'd been sitting on the bench for a little while now. Dembele had gotten his turn. And again, Adame stepped up in a moment when he was given the start, I thought. But when they came off, that being Gabi and Adama Troyori, 
Barcelona just looked like they were back to their regular whatever they've been doing. Yeah, it wasn't full smash-mouth football, but Frankie de Jong certainly does something to this team in the midfield, and Dembélé, again, certainly does something on that right wing. De Jong, in particular, brought a balance and a calm to Barca in possession. And that calm in possession just meant that Barcelona had more possession in the final third for Eintracht Frankfurt. And they became the aggressors in that second half. Right around the 60th, 70th minute, right when that goal was scored, Barcelona were pressing. They were creating issues for Eintracht Frankfurt and not allowing them to get out of their own half. So with more Barca bodies forward, a crossfield ball to Dembele, who once again makes a difference. De Jong holds it up well, close control to Ferran Torres and Barca do score what I call a Barca goal. Torres on the finish. Who I won't apologize for tonight, though, and I don't like to be critical of the referees, but he wasn't great. I'm hoping that in the return leg, the ref, I mean, and this is both sides. I don't think Barca were hard done by. I think Eintracht Frankfurt were hard done by. I think Barca were hard done by. And the one major decision, that being the VAR decision, was the right choice. So I think both teams kind of get out of this one, regardless of how good or bad the ref was, where I think in the second half, he started to call fouls a bit better. And even he settled down. Remember, refs are humans too, so he definitely had a slow start to this game. He settled down, so again, I I feel complimentary today. I'll give him a compliment too. That said, Barcelona didn't help themselves at all. They were sloppy in possession, giving Eintracht Frankfurt opportunities in that first half. As I said, they survived. They get their goal in the second half, answering, once more, answering to an Eintracht Frankfurt goal. So that'll do it. It'll wrap up another edition of the show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. I helped in D13 for me. You can join our closed Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast. Answer the questions. I'll let you in the group there. We're on Patreon. It's how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciate all the financial help over there. You can also listen to these without the ad. That's a little bonus. And I also make sure I do put the YouTube videos in case you don't freaking YouTube. Patreon can be your one-stop shop for everything that basically I create except for the articles for the website. And then we're on YouTube with those match reviews at the Barcelona Podcast, as you know, with those five headlines. So if you hadn't heard it, this is the first time hearing the five headlines. Check those out on YouTube as well. Most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.